0: Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. So
1: I'm delighted to say that on the line with me today, I've got Anne Brunton. Good afternoon, Anne. Hi there. It's really lovely to have you on the call today. And we're very, very grateful for you coming on and sharing your story with us. Um, Anne was diagnosed with endometrial cancer in May 2020. And um, she's got some really good messages to pass on to us today. Um, Anne, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, Well... Um,
0: I'd had symptoms for a, for a number of years that I'd been going to my um, GP with um, GPs actually because I'd had three GPs. Um, I hadn't really been listened to, and then um, I had an ultrasound scan and I had a really good uh, radiographer. And the results from that came back, and they were a little bit suspect. They they suggested that I had um, what what they called. Um, Assist, but was in fact a tumour in my abdomen and suggested that I go off and see a gynaecologist after that to, to kind of have a look into that a bit more deeply. Mm. Um, but that was some time after I'd had symptoms that had started really and hadn't been taken seriously. Um, and then obviously there was the global pandemic.
1: <laughs> yes. That,
0: which basically um, delayed, delayed things a little bit, not because of... Um, the national health service who have been great and i've received all my treatment through the global pandemic i've received my radiotherapy and chemotherapy and i would really urge women if you've got anything suspect or you're worried that you should just not wait just go forward don't worry about what else is going on you need to really get treatment for yourself
1: yeah yeah can we just take a step back can you tell us a little bit about the symptoms that you had over those three years
0: yeah, I'm really happy to talk about the symptoms because the thing about endometrial cancer is that people talk about the symptoms which occur in postmenopausal women. Mm. So I'm 46, so I was premenopausal. So in postmenopausal women, what you get is um, bleeding after your, your periods have ceased. So it's a real red flag. So yeah. that's a very early symptom. So actually in postmenopausal women, most women are picked up very early with endometrial cancer, because obviously if you start to bleed again after you've, your periods are finished, then that will make you think, "Oh, that's not right." Mm. Whereas if you're premenopausal, and also if you're in your kind of mid-40s, like I am, um, having occasionally a heavy period, um, I didn't think with anything except for that, I was perimenopausal that I was going into sort of menopausal years and so that sometimes periods could be a little bit heavier or a bit erratic so I would say that in premenopausal women that's not a good <clears throat> a good indicator mm. So what is I think is abdominal bloating okay. and I know that <laughs> that's quite difficult because sometimes we all think we have a big meal or something and we ha- we feel really bloated but I think it's when you you've eaten a meal and you're not more bloated you know, you're much more bloated, sorry, than you have been previously. So you've not eaten any more really than anybody else around the table. But when you look down, you feel you're really bloated. And you might think, oh, I've obviously developed a wheat allergy or something Mm. like that. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Just be careful of kind of writing that kind of symptom off. Mm. I think a key symptom for me was um, I was incontinent, um, the urinary incontinent, and not in a kind of very dramatic way. So I had kind of things like leakage. So sometimes when it would feel like my bladder was over full and I wouldn't be able to get to the toilet in time. So it was like urgency, Mm. Um, urination, you're like like not quite getting to the loo in time or um, being out and feeling like there was a pressure on my bladder. Um, And I went to the doctor with that and that was not investigated and I was put on a drug called oxybutin. Mm. Um, But I've never had children and eventually I got to the point where I kept saying to my GPs, so I said it's more than one of them. I said it's all three of them, that urinary incontinence in a woman in her 40s, um, early 40s at the time, um, should, uh, that should not be happening no. when you've not had children. And there, should, there was obviously something underlying that. And my GP kept on bobbing me off and saying, no, no, sometimes that just happens. Mm. I can tell you for sure that doesn't just happen. No. So I think if you're experiencing urinary incontinence and you've not had children, you need to have that investigated I don't want to make women panic, but I also don't want you to sit back and think this is nothing. No, because... Because there'll, there'll be a reason for it.
1: Yes, and, you, and, and it's best to get it investigated. That's the key thing, isn't absolutely, it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely get it investigated. If my cancer just stops one other woman going in and being told that she's got stage three endometrial cancer and she's got a 50 percent chance of living for five years Mm. that that'll be that'll be a gift for me Mm. that you're doing Mm. i think the other thing is is that i had um pain deep inside and pain on urination and i went these i went to my gp about that and he said it was um he said it was a urine infection and actually I've never had a urine infection it's not common for me to have them um and when I said to him I don't think it is that because I've had friends with urine infections who, who have told me what the symptoms are you know bloody urine smelly urine and um, needing to go frequently I didn't have those I just had pain but it was deep inside it mm-hmm. wasn't just on the outside and um he said no no it's a urine infection it's urine infection um and so I accepted it was. Mm. And then I went back a kind of a, maybe six, seven months later with the same symptoms. And he said it's a urine infection. This time he checked my urine and it was negative, but the, he never came back to me to tell me that it was negative. Um, so he never followed it up. So, mm. so basically I was left with the impression that it was a urine infection.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: it's,
1: Sorry, you an asked question. Yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, this is all so so useful. Thank you. I think you know all of these symptoms. Are- as you say it's difficult with the bleeding because yeah. you were yeah. you were still of the age where you would have periods and we all yeah. know when you're well those of us who've gone through the menopause know that when you're perimenopausal it is very um erratic should we say yeah. in that in that area so that i agree with you that's difficult but added with all of the other symptoms that you were yeah. having it's yeah. yes it's very disappointing really that the gps didn't Arrange for some investigation um, earlier, isn't it? And putting oh, yeah, you on a absolutely. drug straight away, the oxybutin, I think, is yeah. yeah, is a difficult one as well. As you say, you can also, you're children. only meant
0: to be on oxybutin for six weeks. And wow. after six weeks, I couldn't come off it.
1: Mm.
0: And I went back to my GP and said I couldn't come off it. And, he, and he, so he kept me on it. I was on it for sort of 18 months and still no investigation, and you're meant to be on it for just six weeks. Mm. So, um, and I think the other thing is, is that I had um, been diagnosed when I was quite young, when I was about 20, with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Right. And also I'd not, I'd had, you know, a bit of fertility treatment to try and have children, and I'd not managed to have children. Mm. And so I'd never had a child, so that's medically known as nullity. I think if I've pronounced it right so those two things also put you at higher risk of getting into cancer
1: right
0: so if he'd have taken a look at my history all of those things would have added up and also about 10 when i was having fertility treatment i had two what they called polyps but effectively are just tumors but nine tumors yeah. in my womb which they were they removed just in case i got pregnant and if you've got these little, like, basically skin tags inside your womb, they can stop an embryo fixing on the right. inside of the womb. So I had those removed, but also having polyps removed from inside your womb is also puts you at high risk of endometrial cancer. So I would say again, I'm not trying to worry anyone, no. but I'm just saying to you that all of these things can add up to mean that you're at higher risk. And if you're at higher risk and your GP is not taking you seriously or is too, um overwhelmed or stressed to be looking at your history you need to be able to go there prepared with your history yeah and if you're not getting the answers that you want if you're not being sent for a scan an ultrasound scan is just 50 pounds then you need to seek a second opinion
1: yeah yeah yeah, and if you possibly can, go and pay for one. Um, yeah, if
0: you, I mean, if you can, you shouldn't need to. But no, and also, but also, make when you go and have the ultrasound. I had an ultrasound a few years ago, and the radiographer on that occasion was not very good. The one, and the only reason I know that is because I had one in January last year, and it, the, the lady who did it was excellent. So just make sure that they have a real good look around. You know, they need to really firmly kind of push the um, the one thing that they use in. And they need to really thoroughly have a look all the way around. Look at maybe your kid up as far as your kidneys, down Mm. to your ovaries, your, you know, they they need to thoroughly kind of really push and have a proper look. If you don't feel like, you know, they've made you turn from side to side and they've really pressed the thing in to make sure that they get a good view, then... Stop it and make sure you ask to make sure that they do it properly. Yeah. Because if they're just doing a quick kind of rub over the jelly, like you're pregnant or something, you're doing a quick swipe over, it's not really going to find what you need them to be looking for. Yeah. I mean, I have a six centimetre tumour on my left ovary, so... That's why my cancer was stage three, because it 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 took them so long to find it, it already spread to my ovary.
1: Yeah, so the chances are, had they have taken you seriously sooner, you wouldn't have had to have gone through the same um, awful treatment and things that you've had.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, if I hadn't, even when I got my final scan through, my my final GP that I had at that practice, so I'd had three in the same practice, um, said to me, well, you know, if you don't want to pursue this, We don't have to, because I don't have to do what the radiographer tells me to do. I don't have to send you to to a gynaecologist if you don't want to go to a gynaecologist. Hmm. And I said, well, of course I want to investigate it, because I've got uh, a six-centimeter vascular cyst on my my pelvis. And she said, well, it doesn't look like it's doing anything. Well, it was doing something, because it was a cancerous tumour that was attached to my bowel. Hmm. and if I'd waited along much longer that tumour would have penetrated my bowel and if we'd have waited much longer it's probably the case that I wouldn't be speaking to you now because I would have been stage four by the time they found it and I probably would have been dead by now
1: yeah yeah so and we're running out of time but I do want to say something about you raising two and a half thousand pounds because that's an amazing thing that you did
0: (laughs) thank you I always feel was a bit of a ruse really because Obviously, I—I I, I mean, I raised this money by set, by getting people to sponsor me, pressurising them to sponsor me for cutting my hair off. And obviously, I had the chemotherapy treatment, so I was losing all my hair anyway. But it just gave a bit of meaning to that. And yeah. my hair's growing back now. So.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. And that was for Grace. And again, we need to give a shout Grace. out to Grace because not only are they very supportive when you're going through these journeys, but they're amazing at getting people like you to bravely come forward and share your stories, share your journeys. Because if people don't know, well, people don't know what they don't know, do they?
0: No, they don't. They don't. Um, And just like me, you know, I just had like a catalogue of symptoms, really, with no narrative to it. Mm. And, you know, not that, you know, like no story. I had just like a series of kind of things that I was suffering with and no overarching picture because there was no expertise in me. I'm not a medical doctor. You know, I'm just an academic. So I didn't have any kind of, oh, I'm you know, I understand that all these things together mean me. I didn't know that, um, but yes, race were amazing. My yeah. surgeon was um, Simon Butler um, Manuel, and he he was fantastic. He's very charming, he's very calming, he's very peaceful, kind of, yeah. but gives you a great deal of sense of confidence um, in going through all of that. So yeah. he he's been great. So I was very lucky to be able to have my surgery at St Luke's and all the nurses and. Everybody, you know, the Audis, everybody Porters, everybody who's been so kind to me when I've gone in with post-operative infections and chemotherapy infections and everything else. And all the ladies, all the nurses who work on the chemotherapy wards have all been amazing. Oh,
1: that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm so glad that you know, hopefully now you're going to get better and better and um, and that, that you've had some lovely people treating you through this. Anne, thank yeah. you so much for talking to us Thanks today. For having me on. we for I really appreciate really, it. Anna, We really appreciate it too. Take care. Thank that you. was Anne Brenton. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters.